Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe, and I am privileged to lead a Bible study with you this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the words up on the screen. Um, But Psalm 23 is a psalm that if you have been a part of the church most of your life, or even if you've been kind of new to the church, but, but for maybe a year or so, you've probably heard of this psalm at some point. Me, I first learned this psalm sitting on the toilet at my grandma's house as a child because she had the word stitched on a wall hanging above the bathroom sink. And it was there that I learned to memorize the 23rd psalm at my grandma's house. Thank you, grandma. And uh, if you don't know it, it's the passage that begins with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and I suspect that most of us have heard or seen that at some point, whether we have any kind of connection to the church at all. And, and as a, a minister, as someone who uh, has the privilege of uh, participating in, in uh, important moments in people's lives, like weddings, which is one of my favorite things that I get to do. I met with a couple yesterday talking about their wedding that's coming up this fall. It's one of my favorite things. Another one of the things that I'm privileged to do as a minister uh, is to participate in funerals and memorial services for people who've lost a loved one. And I would say 80% of the time when, when asked if there's a particular scripture that a person would like to be recited for uh, the memory of their loved one, during the funeral service, the 23rd Psalm is often used as the, the one that we will quote, the one that we'll read and recite together. It's been used over the centuries as a source of comfort for the church. And I believe that it is that because it for sure has become that for us. That's what we know it as. We look at the Lord as our shepherd, as the one we'll take care, who will take care of us, and because he is that, we don't have to want for anything. What that is saying is that he's going to meet my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. One translation says, I have everything I need. But I want to take a little bit of a different look at the 23rd Psalm today. Uh, Because here's what can happen. When we approach a scripture that is familiar to us on Sunday morning, uh, very often what we can do is say, yeah, I know that. I'm going to be honest with you. As I'm going through my Bible reading, when I come across the 23rd Psalm, you know what I do sometimes? I skip it because I know it. I don't need to read it. I know know that one. I got that one memorized from Grandma's bathroom. Thanks, Grandma. I don't need to read that. So that can happen to us. I don't want us to do that today because I want to take a little bit of a different look at it and not just consider it as a source of comfort for us in times of grief or in times of need, but consider why it was written and who it was written by. 23rd Psalm, if if your Bible has... Uh, these headings, it probably says this, 
before it even begins with the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, it probably says a Psalm of David. Now this David was the king of the nation Israel. And it's believed by some scholars that he wrote the 23rd Psalm at the latter stage of his life. So he was king of Israel for 40 years. So let's just imagine, we don't know exactly when he'd written it, but let's imagine for a moment that at this point, he's, he's near the end of his life. Let's say he's in the 40th year of his reign. And I like to imagine that he wrote the 23rd Psalm under these circumstances. One night he woke up in the middle of the night after a dream and being unable to go back to sleep, he strolled to the rooftop of his palace as he was prone to do. And walking around the rooftop, he looked out over the city, Jerusalem, of which God had chosen him to be the king of. And considering the entire nation of Israel, of which God had chosen him to be the king of, and maybe he thinks to himself in the middle of the night as he can't sleep, God, you have chosen me to be the shepherd of your people. I am the shepherd of Israel. And maybe he begins to think over the course of his life, all that has meant to him and, and for him and all that has meant to the nation of Israel and for the nation of Israel. David is one of the most prolific characters throughout the Old Testament. In fact, he's so important, he's become a model for all future kings of Israel to follow after. It's from his lineage that all other kings would 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 be validated. In fact, the one that God would choose to restore and redeem the entire world, the Messiah, we call him the Christ. Jesus was even referred to as the son of David. David's an important figure as the shepherd of Israel. And I can't help but wonder as he's pondering the burden of that, the weight of that responsibility. Maybe he asked himself this question, all this time I've done my best to make right decisions for the nation. Sometimes I made very poor ones for them and led them down paths that were not righteous. Sometimes I made choices that were based on what I wanted to do and what not what God wanted to do. So uh, as I look over the course of my life, perhaps David begins to ask this question. While I've been the shepherd of Israel, who has been my shepherd? Who's been leading me? Who is taking care of me. And it's from this place that I like to imagine that David pins the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to read it, and I want to invite you, if you'd like to, to read it with me out loud. Because whenever uh, that passage is read, oftentimes in public settings, because so many of us have it memorized, we'll follow along and say it out loud. So if you have it memorized, say it with me. If you don't have it memorized, you can read the words on the screen or from your own Bible and say it with me. I have it memorized in the King James Version because that's what I grew up on. That won't be what we're reading today. So it'll be a little easier to understand. But if you would, I would invite you to read it with me. As David asks the question, who has been my shepherd? He answers, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup 
overflows, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David pins this psalm, I like to believe, pondering his role as the shepherd of Israel and how through everything he'd gone through, every high and every low, the shepherd and leader of his life was in fact the Lord. Now, if we're being honest about David's life and even our own lives, we have to admit that there are times where the Lord was not the one who was leading David. The Lord was not the one who is leading us in decisions that we have made. In fact, we can look at David's life, and one of the things I love the most about the Bible is that it's so honest about the dirt of the characters who are involved. If it were fake and made up, why would they tell all the dirty stories about these people? Why would they do that? It has to be true because they're acknowledging the, the wrongs that were done. And there were times where David for sure was not led or shepherded by the Lord or, or rather did not allow himself to be shepherded by the Lord. Perhaps the most famous story, it's not one we really talk about in Sunday school, but if you're familiar with David, you probably know this one where one night he couldn't sleep. And he got up in the middle of the night. This is when he was much younger, and he strolled to the roof of his palace, as he was prone to do at times. And while walking on the roof of his palace, he peered across the street and saw through the window a woman bathing, a woman named Bathsheba. And he was attracted to her, and he called for her, and she came to the king's palace, and he ends up sleeping with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, the real issue with this, besides the fact that that's just a gross story that she had to do that because the king said so, the real issue with this is that Bathsheba was a married woman, and her husband is away fighting one of David's battles. He's a soldier in David's army, and everyone knows that her husband, Uriah, is away. So what is David to do? This woman is now pregnant. Everyone is going to get an idea that, that maybe David had something going on with her because you know everybody saw her walk to the king's palace. And so to make a long story short, he has Uriah eventually killed. Here's a moment where we see David not being led by the Lord, but being led by his passions, allowing his emotions and those things which, which drive his feelings and cloud his judgment to drive him instead. There's another story before David was king, when he was the ruler of a band of bandits. There were about 300 men that followed him around. They were misfits from all around the country, and they fit in nowhere else but with this scrappy fighter named David that they saw potential in to be a leader. So they followed him, and because they were bandits, what they had to do was sleep in fields that were not theirs. Now, typically what they did is they were sleeping in these fields that were not theirs is they would protect the sheep and the shepherd, they would protect the cattle, they would protect the goods of the owner of the field from other bandits. And they'd done this one time for a man and been staying in his field for weeks and never taken a thing from him. And David approaches the man and asks him if he'd be willing to give some food to his men who'd been protecting his cattle for weeks now. And the man says, well, to be honest, I didn't even know you were doing that and I never asked you to do it anyway, so I'm not about to give you a thing. And David, one to often be led by his passions, does what I would have done and pulls his sword and threatens to kill the man because he's unwilling to be 
generous. Now, this stingy man had a, a very gracious and beautiful and wonderful wife named Abigail who saw her husband about to be killed, who fled from the house and said, please don't strike him dead. Talk David out of killing him. Once again, he's being led by his passions. And then days later, this man, this stingy fool, drops dead, and David marries his wife. What a poetic justice, isn't it? David didn't have to lift a finger after all to do that, but he's a man who's led by his passions. And if we're honest, we're not too different from David many times, are we? I would think that I'm led by my passions the most in two different circumstances. One, when I'm behind the wheel in Decatur, Illinois. (laughs) My passions certainly lead me while I'm behind the wheel to at times unrighteous paths. And when I'm hungry, my passions certainly lead me in those moments. When I get hungry, it's all of a sudden I feel hungry, and I've got about 30 seconds before I rip the walls apart and get, and get food. Thank God my wife, you know, carries snacks around for me and, and you know, keeps me, keeps me safe from that sort of thing. But if we're honest, there are moments where we're led by our passions and our intellect is clouded and we say things we wouldn't normally say because our buttons have been pushed in a way that they normally aren't. We do things we wouldn't normally do. We hit send after typing that really long, eloquent message with just the right words in all caps. And we go ahead and hit send because our passions are leading us in that moment and our judgment has been clouded by what we feel and not necessarily what we think. We're not too different from David in that we're often led by our passions. Passion was not the only thing that led David besides the Lord, though. There were times where he was often led by his pain as well. Through choices that he'd made and and mistakes that he'd made, there was an incident where we learn of his son, a man named Absalom, who'd grown to be a powerful and influential figure in the kingdom, who eventually instituted a coup against David and overthrew his father's kingdom. And so there's a story where David is fleeing. David, this mighty warrior, David, the one who slew Goliath, David, the one that the the nation used to praise as the one who would always be victorious, leaving town with his tail tucked between his legs because his son had overthrown his kingdom, his pain driving him out of the city. And the incident with Bathsheba and the son that they had from that affair, the son was born sick and it was feared that he would die. And David laid on his face for days, driven by his pain, led by his pain to fall on his face for days, crying out to God that he would help him. Certainly not leading or shepherding Israel while he's on his face for days because his pain had driven him there. And we're not too different from David because our pain will drive us as well. I know that in our church very recently, there have been many people in our church who have lost those that they love. Many people in our church who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, who who have received the the worst news that they've ever gotten in their lives and, and are struggling with pain. And and I say this to say right here that that just because we're being led by our pain or even being led by our passions, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're in the wrong. The fact that we're led by our passions or led by our pain is simply a part of being a human being. 
because we have passions and because we have pain, it's a normal thing that we will for sure be led by them at some point. The issue isn't, are my passions leading me at all times? The isn't, issue isn't, is my pain leading me at all times? Because that's going to happen. It happened for David. It will happen for us. The issue is this, is that while I'm in the midst of feeling my passions rise to the top, and while I'm in the midst of my pain leading me to a place I never expected I would be, where will my priorities lie at the end of the day? We've all found ourselves face down figuratively, maybe literally, in prayer or from choices that we've made that were bad. And at some point, we have to look up and find the shepherd again. David's priorities were divided in his relationship with Bathsheba, with that fool that he was going to kill. They were divided and that he couldn't even see the rebellion that was happening underneath his nose with Absalom, et cetera, et cetera. We can go on and on and on. And I would say here that we're not too different from David in that because we often get so focused on the green pastures that God has led us to. Sometimes we get so focused on worrying about whether or not we're forever going to be stuck in the valley of the shadow of death, that we forget that there's a shepherd who's actually leading us. Now, in verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And, and here's where I think we, we make a mistake sometimes while we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Because as we're walking through that, as we're walking through difficult moments, as we're walking through our pain, as, as we're experiencing the hardest times we've ever experienced, we often think of it as a detour from the path. We think that maybe I'm here because uh, for some reason I stopped following God and he's allowed this terrible thing to happen to me because I didn't do all the right things. And we think that it's a detour, but that's not what David is saying. He says, the Lord has been my shepherd. I've followed him. And sometimes the valley of the shadow of death is part of the journey. It's not a detour off the path that God has for us. So David's in the valley of the shadow of death. We can be in the valley of the shadow of death and think that, that somehow we've gotten off of God's plan when very often it is a part of his plan to walk us through it. And we also get tripped up in believing that the valley of the shadow of death is our destination. And that's where we're going to have to end up. He says, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a stop along the way. What God is bringing me through is not where he's taking me to because he's taking me through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a promise for those of us who are believers in Jesus that we have a, a, a place, a room in the house of the Lord forever. Our pain and our problems and, and the valley of the shadow of death is certainly not the end of our story. I, over the past year, have felt in different ways like I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and it started with learning that I was going to be a dad. Uh, my wife and I were married in November of 2020, and uh, we decided quickly that we did not want to have kids or even think about having kids for a couple years. 
Fast forward to July of 2021, we leave church one Sunday, and my wife says to me, I think I need to take a pregnancy test today. And I said to her what any potential father might say in that moment, why? (laughs) Now, you got to understand, I was homeschooled, so I don't know where babies come from. (laughs) I was never told. I was never told. So this is all a surprise to me. And so she's telling me, like, she had to, like, explain the whole thing to me. And I was just shocked. My mind was blown. She said, I had to take a pregnancy test. Well, she happened to have one at home, which I don't know why. But she happened to have one (laughs) at home. And we get home. It's Sunday afternoon. And we do our normal routine. I'm like, I'm going to lay down on the couch and take a little nap. She's like, well, I'm going to go take this pregnancy test. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, she's gone forever. comes down, wakes me up, and hands me the stick that is positive, and I don't know how to read these things, and I said, what does this mean? And she says to me, it means I'm pregnant, with joy in her eyes, and you know, a little bit of fear in her voice, and I said, with all the joy I could muster, no! <laughs> Which is just, just not, I don't recommend that, guys. If, this, if you ever find yourself in the same, don't, don't do that, to fake it. Okay, don't be honest. That's a moment to not be honest with your wife. Okay, but I said, no. Well, I pretended to be excited about it over the next several months, but I'm going to be honest, it was really hard for me because she and I had not even developed our own routine together yet. That's important to me, having my routines. And I like to have a plan. I got to know what I'm doing at the end of the day, at the beginning of the, by the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, in order to feel safe and secure and at peace with the things that I'm doing. So for my plan to be flipped on the top of its head is the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. Not to mention that pregnancy is really hard on a man. And so (laughs) as I'm struggling with, you know, the pregnancy all this time, um, the week before our baby's born, she's due March 17th, which was really fun for me. That was my grandpa's birthday, and it's St. Patty's Day. I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. She happens to have red hair. How cool, right? Well, she came three weeks early. We, of course, didn't know this was going to happen, but the Saturday before she was born, which technically would have been about a month before she was born, my wife's wonderful family came over and were helping finish the nursery for us. They were painting the nursery. My father-in-law was fixing the floor and the closet, like finishing it so we could have storage space. It was wonderful. And all while they're working, I'm in my office with the door closed at home, pacing, grumbling that my house is full of people who are doing stuff to it that I don't know what they're doing right now. My house is full of garbage that doesn't belong to me. And it doesn't belong to a person who even lives here yet. I've got a family member coming to live with me soon who's going to stay with me for years, just flipping out. And I've heard my friends for years say things like, gosh, I didn't know what my purpose was before my child was born. And at that point, I'm 35 years old, and I'm pretty secure in who I am. And I tell the Lord that day, I didn't need this to know my purpose. I didn't need you to give me a kid to to tell me my worth. I had all that figured out. Why have you done this to me? And I have my pity party that no one else came to, even though I invited them. No one else came to my pity party. And I'm feeling this way all the way up till that following Thursday. I'm in my office in the morning, getting ready for the day. It's about 7.15, and an hour I'm going to leave and come to work. And my wife pops her head in the office door and says, I think my water just broke. And I said, oh, 
So I hop up and I start packing my bag. Now my wife is very tough and very amazing. If you know her, you'll know her as a person who's very gentle and kind and sweet, but she's got more grit than anyone I've ever met in my life. And she says to me, don't worry about it. I don't even know that that's what happened. It's my first time at this. Maybe it's not my water breaking. I think that's what happened. I sent an email to my doctor and we'll wait to hear what she has to say about it. And um, she's like, so honestly, you can go on to work. And if she calls me, we'll go because I feel fine. And I'm like, bet. So I come to work. And after being here for about a half hour, she calls and says, hey, um, the doctor thinks I am going into labor. So um, if you uh, wanna come home, um, that would be great. Now, uh, I failed to mention this, that the week before that, like the day my, my wife's family was over at the house was like the first day I felt better after having COVID for three weeks. So like all of 2022 up to this point has been the valley of the shadow of death. And so now I'm about to be a father. So I go home to rush my wife to the hospital who's like, no, it's okay, I would like to shave my legs and do my toenails and eat some breakfast first, because um, they're gonna be a while before they do anything. Well, we get there by 10.30, after a water breaks at seven, we get there and um, you know, we're just kind of sitting around all day waiting and I'm stewing because I'm about to be a dad and I don't even know what that means. And at 10.20 p.m., after 40 minutes of pushing and I'm watching the most impressive thing I've ever watched in my life, a woman give birth, this baby comes out screaming, and the doctor's like, you wanna come see here, dad? And I wanna just tell you, don't fall for that trap. <laughs> but I did, because you think you're supposed to in the moment, right? They say, you wanna come see this? And I did, and I just don't recommend it. But, but she's like, dad, look! And I, and I didn't know who they were talking to. And they, they had to say, it again, dad, look! And, and even up to this point, like I'm full of angst about this thing that's about to ruin my life. And as soon as I look at her, the miracle of childbirth for me was that my heart changed and I instantly somehow had this love for her that I didn't even know existed with it. I didn't even know I was capable of it. And in that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, what else am I here for? Like, I'm, I'm not a crier, like tears rolling down my face. I'm like, this is my purpose. This is why God has placed me on this earth for this screaming, nasty, ugly looking, scary thing. She's like covered in cheese or whatever. I don't know what it was, right? So like, life changing in that moment, God does for me after having walked through the valley of the shadow of death for nine months. That's what it really felt like. Well, we didn't know that we weren't out of the valley yet because within 12 hours, she had been taken to the NICU at St. John's in Springfield. She was born three weeks early. She had some lung problems and they told us over and over and over again that she was gonna be okay. But as far as I was concerned, that was on my last day. My, my, the best day of my life became the worst day of my life all in the, within the same 24 hours. And as far as I was concerned, that's all I knew. And so the next week that we spent in the hospital was the worst of our lives, valley of the shadow of death for sure. And yet as I look back on that time, I can't help but see that in the midst of that valley, the Lord was with me. It felt like a whole lot of evil as I'm sitting alone with her in that ICU room, she's fighting for every breath and all I can think is, she can't, she can't do this for long before she gets tired. And yet the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me through so many of you who were praying for us, who reached out to us, who cared for us 
during that time. But as all of that is going on, my wife and I began to look at all of our priorities and reevaluate them. And, and, and as God has, has led us through, through all that we've been led through, as we, we've attempted to follow him, and she and I, through most of our adult lives, have, a, have attempted to follow the shepherd in everything that we do and in everywhere that we go. And this was a moment where it's like all of our priorities were rocked and turned upside down on their heads. I kept describing it like this. And maybe the valley of the shadow of death has felt like this for you, like your life is a deck of cards and someone's played 52 pickup. And now you're scrambling to find all the cards and you've got five kings. And do you really need the joker? And all of these things you're going through. And so in the midst of us attempting to follow the shepherd and finding ourselves in moments where we for sure had our head down and weren't looking for the shepherd, we were sure uh, hanging our heads in fear and worry whether we're going to make it out of the shadow of death. At one point we looked up and it was like the shepherd's over there and we're over here. Have you ever had that moment? where you suddenly realize, wow, the things that, that I've been doing aren't necessarily where God is leading me. And maybe it's a, a really bad thing where it's not so hard to realize. Maybe it's been a really, really good thing. And all of a sudden, you have to admit, like, wow, I, I was doing this really, really good thing, and God had led me here, but now God is over there, and I, I need to go lead him over there. It, it's not the issue that he leaves us at any moment, any moment. I don't believe that. I don't believe the shepherd ever leaves us. What happens to us is because we're sheep, we go astray. We stop looking at the shepherd. And, and at one point, we both looked up and we realized, oh, we haven't been following the shepherd. The shepherd's leading us over here. And so my wife and I, through a lot of prayer and, and, and pain, honestly, and, and attempting to follow the shepherd's voice, both have decided to take jobs outside of vocational ministry, which is a thing that has been a part of our lives for a very long time. And so I say all that to say, like, I, this is still my church. <laughs> no other church will have me. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> no one else will accept me, right? Like, no other church will have me. Like, I'm still going to serve. Like, I'm still going to be a part of this family. I have my minister's license. I'm doing a, few, uh, a wedding at the, in, in, in the middle of fall this year. But, but what I'm saying is this, is that we, while we've attempted to follow the shepherd, our priorities helped us to realize that he was leading us someplace completely unexpected. Now, the reason why we find ourselves in that situation at times is where we're no longer following the shepherd is because we often go astray. This is why I believe the Bible uses the parallel to refer to God's people as sheep, as lambs, because we go astray and we need a shepherd to lead us, to, to take us to the green pastures. We say all the time, and I believe it to be 100% true, that the Bible is a book about Jesus. It's not about you and I, but I think there are places where we can find ourselves in the Bible, and it's in those stories where people go astray. That's what we do. We go astray, and the shepherd has to come and get us. I can't help but think that as David, when he penned this psalm, he'd been awakened by a dream in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep. And maybe that dream was a scene from his childhood. Do you ever dream back to when you were a kid and things seem in your dream like they 
still are the way they were. Maybe David was dreaming of when he was a young shepherd boy who watched over his father's flock. And there's a story he told one time about a a little lamb that had wandered away from the flock, that, that once David realized this lamb had wandered away, he left the flock where it was because they were safe and secure in their numbers, and he went to follow and seek after this little sheep that had gone astray. But while he came across, let's say he walks a mile, maybe two miles, he finally sees the little lamb off in a distance, and out of the corner of his eye, there's a lion slowly creeping up on him. Well, the story that David would eventually tell of this incident that I like to imagine he was dreaming of that night is that the lion came and grabbed the little lamb, but David, as bad as he was, jumped and Daniel booned that lion, killed him right there, took the lamb out of the lion's mouth and rescued the lion. I can't help but wonder if Jesus is maybe thinking of this same story when he refers to himself as the good shepherd And he tells the nation of Israel, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. If there's one little lamb that has gone astray, you know what I'll do as the good shepherd? I'll leave the flock and I'll go chase after that little lamb that's gone astray in order to rescue it from the mouth of the lion. Now, the crazy thing about the gospel isn't just that God came to this earth to rescue us. That's what Jesus coming to earth is. God coming to earth to rescue us. The real crazy thing about it is that God came to this earth and became a man to rescue us. He became one of us as our substitute. So think of it like this. The shepherd doesn't just leave the flock to go save the little lamb that's gone astray. The shepherd becomes a lamb. And he doesn't wander off into the wilderness. He willingly walks into the dead of the lion, allows himself to be devoured. So now the lion isn't even hungry anymore. We don't have to be afraid of, am I going to wander and go astray from the good shepherd? And is the lion going to devour me? The lion's belly has been satisfied by Jesus, the good shepherd who became a lamb, who allowed himself to be devoured. So we don't have to. And the story doesn't end there because the crazy thing about this little lamb that got eaten by that lion is not only is the lion not hungry anymore and now sleeping, eventually he's going to wake back up and be hungry again. So what does this little lamb who's been eaten and is now in the belly of this lion do? It comes back to life and crawls out of the lion. So now not only is the lion not hungry, the lion is dead because the lamb came back to life. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, we're saying the Lord is my shepherd because he became my lamb and I don't have to be afraid of the lion that's lurking in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't have to fear any evil because the shepherd is just like me and he gave his life for me. So now when I follow him, I don't follow him because if I don't, I'll go astray and I'll be lost. I follow him because he knows where the green pastures are. I follow him because he knows where to find still waters. I follow him because when I do, he restores my soul. Verse six says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I think the only reason goodness and mercy are following me and are following you is because goodness and mercy are following the shepherd. As we're following him, we're just caught in between 
the goodness and mercy following the shepherd. We don't follow him out of fear. If I don't follow the shepherd, if I don't follow my leader, I will go astray and be devoured. We follow him out of joy and delight because that's where goodness and mercy go. My prayer for us today is that if we find ourselves in a moment, whether we're in green pasture, we're in the valley of the shadow of death and our head is down and we're not looking at the shepherd, that we would look up and, and just do a check on our lives and say, am I still following the shepherd right now? Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you gave your life for us. You were, you were devoured by sin, so we don't have to be. You were devoured by death, so we don't have to be. And you came back to life so that we don't have to be defeated by the devourer that is sin and death. Lord, I pray that as we find ourselves in the midst of, of being led by our passions and by our pain, that, that as we're looking down, whether it's to graze or to hang our heads in sorrow, that we not forget to look up and see, are you, am I still where you want me to be? Lord, give us the courage to say, I'm going to look up. That's all it takes. We know your voice. We know it's you. When we see you, we'll follow. But Lord, we have to look up and find you first. I pray that for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 